how's it going? Uh, welcome, New York, to Revolutions Per Minute. I'm here. I am your guest host today. My name is Jacob Fertig, and I'm here with your regular host, Jack Devine. How's it going, everybody? Uh, we are going to be joined later today by Jordan and Key from No New Jails, and we have a very special episode today where we're going to be talking about prison abolition. We're going to be talking about prison abolition, we're going to be talking about No New Jails, and we're going to be talking about the Rikers Table, a project uh, created by a few members of DSA. Before we do that, we just want to you know, dive in, talk a little bit more about DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, and kind of give the headlines from a socialist analysis. So for those of you that don't know, Revolutions Per Minute is the show uh, for the New York City chapter of Democratic Socialists of America. Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States. What socialism means is the idea of workers collectively owning the organizations that make our world exist on the day to the day. The day to day. Uh, rather than private control, exploitation, corruption that we currently live under. And it means seeing life as a consistent struggle towards this goal, a struggle against racism, nationalism, imperialism, patriarchy, homophobia, transphobia, transphobia and the private ownership of public property. And I think um, you know, where we see this happening right now uh, has been a really, really critical action out in Los Angeles, led by the teachers, but working together with their whole community, with the students and with the parents. You know, uh, the teacher strike out in Los Angeles is a culmination of a lot of hard work and a lot of actions that have been building up over the past uh, few years from, you know, people involved, teachers involved in the union realizing that they have to be out on the fight for public education. And today it seems that they have their action, their uh, week-long strike is secured a contract that they fought for, that it's not just about raising their wages, but it's uh, this whole social movement unionism where they, you know, consulted with the kids who said, we can't have our uh, schools be like prisons, that if our schools uh, are like jails, then we're going to be heading straight to a pipeline. So now in this new contract, it appears there are going to be guarantees to fight against that school to prison pipeline. There's all these really exciting developments like the class size in Los Angeles prior to this contract had been ballooned up to 50 kids. And, you know, Los Angeles is a district that has 85 percent students of color. And as you see time and time again, these students are attacked by the system. They are left behind. And so what this you know, fight has been about has been about giving them the resources they need to not just survive but thrive. Yeah, we're speaking to the uh, teachers' strike in Los Angeles today, uh, which uh, seems to have come to an agreement. This is the latest in a wave of teacher strikes, which have been sweeping the United States in this past year uh, across a bunch of different states. Uh, and it's a huge phenomenon. Um, what else should we be talking about? Well, just I want to dive into that a little bit more in the sense that this goes back even to Chicago in 2012, and that these um, strikes have kind of been the rise of a new movement that's you know bringing all these forces together. Um, that and then you know really came to fruition in West Virginia this past year, uh, Oklahoma, Arizona. That is a fight across the country, and it's a fight against both Republicans and Democrats who are representing the interests of capital. And then you see this happening again, not uh, just within you know, the attack on public education, but you then have an attack on the air we breathe, the water we drink. Um, when you have private ownership 
of the resources that enable life, you lead in a direction that um, really hurts everyday working people. And you see this again with the um, pipeline. Like last week on the same day that- Can you tell us which pipeline? So uh, uh, there's actually a power plant, a a frac gas power plant um, being built up in Dutchess County. Um, And on the same day that Cuomo, you know, made, supposedly made a Green New Deal, the centerpiece of his new uh, regime, uh, they went out and there were uh, plans to build a new power plant. But, you know, four New Yorkers, you know, fighting the struggle, went out, uh, took direct action to halt construction of the frac gas power plant in their community. Um, three farmers and educator use a tractor to blockade this construction. You know, this is the, the type of actions that we want to be connecting people with, that the fight for socialism is on a, a variety of fronts, that it's people taking direct actions about, you know, building and radicalizing your union so it's more democratic and responsive to the voters. Like taking it back to the teacher strike for a moment, uh, this all came about because people worked in the union to make it more responsible to the people who actually work in the schools rather than people just on the top level. So it's about getting people out in the streets and fighting, organizing together to build real power. Um, and I think all of this really connects to what we're talking about today, which is prison abolition, because this fight for eco-socialism is, fight for eco-socialism is not siloed off. You have out in California... Um, these firefighters, a large percentage of them were being paid 25 cents an hour because they were prisoners. And these prisoners are the most uh, vulnerable people from the most vulnerable communities that have been left behind by capitalism. Well said. That's a great transition into our main topic for today, which is prison abolition, uh, the fight against new jails, the city's plan for new jails, four new jails in New York City, uh, and the Rikers table that has been formed by a group of DSA members. So uh, we're joined today by Jordan, and we'll soon be joined by Key from the No New Jails Coalition. Just to really, really connect the dots here uh, to the fight for socialism, the MTA is so is so messed up that Key is still on their way, uh, and you can blame Cuomo for that, and that's something from from uh, our mouth to God's ears. But uh, we're going to start off today by uh, speaking to the idea of abolition, the question of what is prison abolition? Um, With the astronomical rise in U.S. incarceration over the last 50 years, the backlash to the prison industrial complex has reached new levels of cultural saturation, from the popularization of the term mass incarceration to Ava DuVernay's Netflix documentary The 13th, which exposed the connection between the private prison industrial complex and modern-day slavery, to marijuana legalization and the fight to end cash bail, the highly publicized cases of Khalif Browder, Centoya Brown, and Meek Mill, And amid this rise, many have added their voices to the long-standing fight for prison abolition, the complete abolition of all jails and prisons, and a complete reconstruction of our collective approach to rehabilitation, conflict, and justice. Prison abolition is a part of the national platform of DSA, and a plank many NYC DSA members are working toward in their organizing and as a priority for the chapter. So, after all of this introduction, uh, I'd like to introduce Jordan from No New Jails. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jake. Uh, And just to give a quick introduction to myself, I'm also a DSA member. Um, I've been in the DSA for about two years, organizing um, some field campaigns. And I'm a socialist feminist, and I live in Brooklyn. Um, And thanks for inviting uh, myself and Key to talk about prison abolition and the really important fight against the mayor's jails expansion plan. Um, So quickly, not quickly probably, but what is is abolition? So abolition speaks to a vision of a world without policing, 
jails, prisons, surveillance, or any types of human cages. It is also a practice, so one by which we seek to create safety and accountability in communities without relying on the police or other police-like functions like the administration of child services. It's about investment in communities into truly affordable housing, fully resourced public schools, ties back to what we were talking about before, youth programs, green spaces, health services, into all of those areas that allow communities to thrive. Uh, so, uh, oh, he just joined us. Yeah, uh, so, just really, um, as an abolitionist, I, um, you know, we we know that policing in prisons uphold a system of white supremacy, of misogyny and gender violence, and they uphold capitalism and profit making. Um, definitely by um, kind of the exploitation we were just talking about with um, actually having prisoners work for almost no money, but also by intentionally limiting the work opportunities and the stability of poor people and people of color. And uh, it's really important to point out that the prison industrial complex has always done this. It was designed for exploitation and it was designed for maintaining a certain social order. And it does that through extremely violent means. So modern police forces were founded on this idea of genocide. Um, they were founded to return enslaved people to plantations and to break labor organizing. So there's really a question about how, how can you reform something that was designed to carry out this kind of violence and continues to do so today. Um, so abolition is recognizing that policing and prisons don't keep us safe and that we need to work towards transforming the way that we think about the causes and therefore the solutions to harm. Thank you, Jordan. That was a very detailed and very helpful explanation of the idea of abolition. I just want to welcome key to the show. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. Thank you for uh, having this uh, talk tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so Jordan was giving listeners a brief uh, explainer, uh, just an introduction to the idea of abolition. And I guess I was wondering what, what is, well, first off, I think it'd be helpful if you feel comfortable introducing yourself uh, uh, to, to the audience. Yeah, so my name is Key Williams. Um, I am an organizer, uh, former organi organizer and founding member of Black Lives Matter, the global network. Um, and a lot of my work has been taking place um, here in New York City since we came back from Ferguson. Um, and so my, my uh, this work here with No New Jails campaign is right in alignment um, with our guiding principles around the abolition of police, the abolition of prisons, um, the abolition of slavery, the abolition of the death penalty. Um, these really basic concepts that folks, for some reason, can understand when you say abolition of slavery. But when it comes to the abolition of jails, there's this like disconnect when we know that, as Jordan just said, prisons and jail systems are uh, come from the uh, the slave trade here in the United States. Thank you for, again, explaining it in great, te great detail. I guess um, I feel like uh, there is this uh, typical reaction, this immediate reaction that people have when you talk about prison abolition, jail abolition, um, is that this idea that it's not possible. You know, people ask how do we deal with, you know, quote unquote criminality. And I think it's worth asking, you know, what is, as abolitionists, what is your response to, to that kind of question? Yeah, I mean, that's the most common question, right, especially with this campaign, is how is abolition possible? Um, how do we close Rikers without building new jails? But when we think about the two top misdemeanors in New York City, the first one is marijuana possession, and the second one is fear evasion. And those aren't really crimes at all. 
Um, that is, for example, marijuana possession is often an extension of stop and frisk, which is unconstitutional, right? You don't know that I have weed on me until you ask me to empty my pockets. Um, <laughs> and the same thing for fare evasion, right? Folks shouldn't be going to jail because they can't afford two seventy five, um, right? And so the these these top two misdemeanors that actually uh, funnel people into the system um, are the types of things that we're saying, like decriminalize those things, and you won't need jails, right? If you remove the mentally ill population from Rikers um, and actually provide mentally ill folks with the facilities and resources that they actually need for proper treatment, um, you won't need jails, right? And and you think about, specifically for Rikers, 80% of the population that's there is pretrial detention. Basically, folks who have not been convicted of a crime at all yet um, are, you know, uh, accused of a crime, and they can't afford bail most often than not. So they're sitting in, in Rikers, and the average time of Rikers is over a year between um, delays and, and just, like, the logistical issues, right, of having a mass incarceration system. When you when you incarcerate such a large amount of people, of course the logistics are, like, horrible to, to navigate, right? But um, abolition is completely possible, but it requires folks to really uh, let go of this concept that we need jails. It requires folks to think a little bit beyond that. Um, it's easier to package all of our societal problems into a concrete building and just leave them there, right, away from sight. It's a lot harder to actually treat people, to build community with folks, to actually return those resources and investments to a community to build a better world. We like to often think of temporary solutions. But as abolitionists, what we're actually advocating for and saying is possible is that we would propose the creation of other institutions, an array of creative institutions, holistic institutions and systems that would actually resolve um, the need for prison and jails, right? And so I think that's way more possible <laughs> um, in my mindset and something that is much more longstanding and sustainable than jails. Um, New York City has been trying to to humanize and rebuild jails since like 244 years. Uh, the first jail was built in Brooklyn in 1795, right? And so we've been trying to rebuild jails, renovate jails for 244 years. Um, so as an abolitionist, I'm like, hey, can we can we try something else? <laughs> like, you know, can we try something else? Can we try uh, returning those resources to communities instead and just see how that goes for 200 years maybe? You know, just test it out. That I mean, that sounds like, like a great way to spend 200 years, in my opinion. Um, just a quick station break. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute, the official radio show of New York City Democratic Socialists of America. And today we're talking about prison abolition. We're talking about the No New Jails campaign. And we're talking about the Rikers table that a uh, contingent of DSA members have formed. Um, with me is Key and Jordan from the No New Jails Coalition. And we're speaking about the idea of abolition. Uh, Key, you just spoke in pretty great detail about moving beyond the idea of incarceration and I guess I just wanted to, to bring one more question uh, just to, to stay on that stay on that topic uh, how do we move you know you, you were speaking this vision that's kind of beyond punishment uh, talking about the way that prison is is a way to avoid dealing with problems like locking up problems uh, rather than rather than solving them and we've spoken about uh, or we started to speak about cash bail about fair evasion, about the legalization of marijuana, about the failure to deal with mental health issues. And I guess I wanted to talk about the kind of social imperative of moving moving beyond this. I want to talk about, or I wanted to ask you about, you know, how, how do we break this kind of cage complex, this, this complex of this need to, or, or this desire to punish, this like misunderstanding of how to deal with the problems that we collectively suffer from as a society? Yeah, I think that um, in answering that, that's like the really basic 
conversation, right? There's a wall around, like, if we decarcerate and decriminalize people, we still need jails. And just the numbers on a basic level don't make sense, um, especially in regards to this plan uh, specifically, right? So, the, for example, the mayor, this plan uh, requires that there are 6,000 new beds built, um, which is 500,000 people, like, kept in cages <laughs> for a year, um, right, each year. And so if you're saying that you want to decarcerate, um, why would you build jails that need 1,500 beds? Um, just like those really simple ideals of like how you push back against the system. But, um, you know, we deal with the hyper-criminalization and the hyper-policing of communities, and we have gotten so used to having police presence, surveillance, um, even like in New York City, like we go to Grand Central and you see SWAT, you know, like um, the the presence of policing is every single place. And so uh, when you're talking about building, bringing these jails into dense populations, um, you you are really centering the jail complex and not centering the people in the communities that live there. Um, but the basic reality of criminalization um, and decriminalizing these very basic quality of life issues is to just, like, get folks to reimagine the ideal of safety. And abolition primarily is really challenging the ideal perception that we have of safety. And when most folks sit alone in their bedroom or, uh, you know, even in their house, they don't imagine a police officer or bars on their windows. That's not what people feel, like, keeps them safe, right? And so, like, abolition is a very basic challenge to the concept of safety. It's a basic challenge to how we deal with our societal issues that we are facing, um, versus, like you said, locking them up, right? And we say locking them up in this very generic way, but we're locking up community members, we're locking up loved ones, um, and the system does not... People are abstract when they come in front of a judge, right? They don't consider all of the other sufferings and things that other folks come from. It's just like, here's this law, and you don't have the requirement to meet this bail, so that's just it, you know? There's no consideration of where folks come from just by the basic enforcement of law, Um I mean, there's a lot of issues, right, with, like, New York City and even New York State. Um, and in cash bail can't happen because of New York City. It has to happen at the state level. So when you have Mayor Bill de Blasio saying we need to end cash bail, he actually doesn't have the power to do that, right? And so you have this, like, volleyballing of, like, hey, you, you hold this ball on cash bail and we'll hold this on whatever, um, and it doesn't make any sense. Um, so abolition is a reimagining of the possibilities of a world without a carceral state and without penalization. And these things are very, very new, um, even though they've existed, right, um, longer than <laughs> the United States. Um, there haven't always been jails. There haven't always been prisons. Um, I think about the the video we just saw of the indigenous elder, right, down in D.C., and I think about I think about how he said those words, like, we didn't have walls, we didn't have borders, we didn't have prisons, and we took care of our people. Um, and so if you just look at, like, that fight, that very basic reality coming from an indigenous elder whose land was stolen, people were, you know, <laughs> genocidally killed, like, you think about those those words, and to me that's abolition, right? Like, we didn't have walls, we didn't have borders. Um, so it's a possibility because it has already existed before. I want to go into, uh, I think it's it's worth talking about the specifics of the city jail plan uh, to get listeners really acquainted with what we're talking about, um, what what we're being presented with, what we're fighting against. And I think we have a clip that we can roll that's, uh, uh, that's kind of a, an accumulation of a bunch of the actions that No New Jails is, along with another, like a whole coalition of organizations, 
uh, has participated in or have participated in in relation to some of these city hearings. Uh, so if we can roll that clip, listen. in the prison industrial complex exists, as long as imperialism exists, there will always be a revolutionary movement. And if it takes 10 years, if it takes 20 years, if it takes 50 years, eventually we will tear this system to scrap piece by piece. At the age of 17, I was sent to Rikers Island when the population was over 20,000 people. And I became a part of the Cold Rikers campaign because I believe the campaign slogan, which is Cold Rikers and Build Communities. When I approached the mayor in his gym at the YMCA in his neighborhood, I handed him the Lipman Commission report because the plan that he had was inefficient and it was rushed. <coughs> and that's why we're here today, because this plan is inefficient and it's rushed. The city was closed records. Yeah. We know that. But we cannot allow the city to railroad us into creating four new jails. to revolutions per minute uh, what you just heard was a clip from a variety of the city jail hearings that have taken place over the past few months uh, regarding the new uh, jail plan that's being presented to the city uh, that and I'm, I'm joined right now by Jordan and Keith from the no new jails coalition uh, and they are speaking to us about the fight against the city's jail plan and the close Rikers uh, campaign so I guess a great place to start would be to talk a little bit about uh, a little bit of the history of the Close Rikers campaign and uh, where it's led in the moment that we're at right now. Yeah, so um, the Close Rikers campaign is probably the most popular campaign along with like the city, and that's um, because it's by Just Leadership, which is a huge uh, nonprofit that has access to a lot of resources. <laughs> but actually, the the fight for closing Rikers is first of all forever. Like let's not let's not like act like this is a new ideal. Folks have been wanting to close Rikers since it opened. Um, However, Shutdown Rikers was a campaign that really started to target officials and make a lot of noise and agitate officials on closing Rikers, and they targeted the Department of Corrections uh, boards. And that was really impactful because the DOC, right, are the folks who uh, employ the folks who work at the prisons, the COs, and et cetera. Um, and we made a lot of noise, and that was what Nabil and Vienna and Army and, and a bunch of folks from Millions March who did really radical and beautiful work as a small collective. Um, and then that work got taken into Closed Rikers, right? And folks felt really good about Closed Rikers coming in and being on board with shutting down Rikers and um, really fighting back against any type of thing that would, you know, negate that. 
in a sense. Um, and as the Closed Records campaign has continued, we've seen a lot of uh, co-optation by the mayor and a lot of this like faux progressivism, right? And so you see now the mayor has made it so that it's contingent, meaning I won't close Rikers as Mayor Bill de Blasio unless you let me build four new jails. And that was never on the table. Mm. That was never something that shut down Rikers and when Closed Rikers first began was on the table. Um, and you hear in a couple in that clip, you hear, uh, I, I believe, one of the Closed Rikers organizers talk about the Lipman Commission. And there's a lot of history around the Lipman Commission. It is pretty much the, the report that the mayor's office is using. But I like to let folks know that that report um, was actually supposed to come out two days uh, later. But the mayor jumped the gun once he got news of it. And he made his own press conference that said, like, hey, we're going to build these new jails and I'm so radical and wah, wah, wah. Right. And so... Um, Building four new jails has never been on the table for a lot of community members, a lot of organizers, a lot of organizations, nonprofits, um, grassroots coalitions, coalitions like No New Jails, mm-hmm. members of the Close Rikers campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of a lot of pushback around why do we need to build four new jails? Um, why can't we close Rikers now? If we start to decarcerate, we start to decriminalize, we start to uh, end cash bail, we end pretrial detention. Again, we stop criminalizing the poor, the mentally ill. Um, we do all these things to make a safer city um, and to make a more fair city, right? And so I think about the language that has been being used around this plan. There's no way that you can make a humane jail. A jail is a jail. A cage is a cage. A cell is a cell, right? Um, being locked into tiny spaces, even your bedroom in New York. If you don't leave your, your apartment after a while, you start to feel a little nuts. <laughs> so, you know, it, it doesn't matter, right? Um, and I think about the lack of humanity in this plan as you advocate for human jails. I think, I think about the reality of a father or mother being in a cage and knowing that their child is around the corner at school. Like, you know, and so and, and so there's there's a lot of issues that like we can't address and, and, and because this plan is being pushed through with the Euler process, which is only land use and rezoning, uh, the public hasn't been able to really engage on this. Um, nobody's been able to speak out on really anything. Um, and we see that a lot of folks are just following uh, blindly, like sheep, behind Mayor Bill de Blasio's plan to build four new jails and not really taking into any consideration how folks feel, um, what communities actually want and need. The Bronx wants a hospital. Mount Haven is the poorest community in the Bronx. They want a hospital. Nope, you get a jail. Mm. Brooklyn wants a fit- affordable housing, right? Most folks in downtown Brooklyn, families are being pushed out. The elderly are being pushed out here. Um they want affordable housing. Nope, you get a jail. Yep. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that this plan has been really heartbreaking um, and it's something that, for me, I'm extremely going to double down on as much as possible. Jordan, do you want to add anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think about this as an extremely violent plan. Um, the city has kind of built it as this is the way that we close Rikers, when in fact they've made no commitment to closing Rikers Island. I mean, the time frame alone that they put on this is that it, they say that they'll close Rikers in 10 years, but none of them will be in an office then. There's actually no commitment from any of the folks um, who have proposed this plan. And instead, we see this as a, as a jails expansion plan, and that's how we talk about it, because that's really what they've given us, um, and that is um, something that, yeah, we have, to, we have to fight with everything that we have. And the, and the city has really, to something you said, Key, has framed this as a question of 
okay, we need jails. How do we do it? Right? They think that we still need beds. They think that we still need cages. They haven't asked anyone what's, what safety means to them. And that's why, as abolitionists, we think it's really important um, to, to ask our communities what they think safety is so that we can start working towards that and, and we can all kind of push the city in that direction. Thank you. Uh, not not to give any undue time to what we've we've kind of described as like a you know clearly a railroading of a jail exp- expansion plan under the guise of this you know faux progressive you know close Rikers movement, but I think it might be helpful to listeners to understand you know what what is the the city's motivation? Why are they opening? You know what is the point of this jail expansion plan that they're railroading in? Well, I mean, as you were saying, they. To them, they need jails, right? Um, this is this is their way of uh, exploiting and oppressing communities. Um, it's why they felt the need to expand the NYPD force um, a few years ago, right? This is um, this is really intentional policy making on their part. I mean, in New York City, we have seen a incredible rise in um, family homelessness. We have seen no investment in affordable housing. Um, We have cops in public schools, um, literally the Department of Education paying for cops instead of teachers. There's more uh, police officers in New York City public schools than there are guidance counselors. Yeah, right. And this is intentional. These are decisions that our policymakers are making. Um, And it is about um, right, and it comes back to what we were talking about, about uh, what we fight against as abolitionists is this uh, system, the system that is uh, upholding white supremacy, that is upholding um, exploitation by capitalism. Um, and it's really, it's purposeful, and we have to challenge it, and we have to really, this is where, right, this is where people power comes in, because we, we have to fight for ourselves, and we have to build something better. So No New Jails is a coalition that's formed by community members, and I think it would be really helpful to listeners to understand what is the work that is being done by No New Jails on a day-to-day basis. If, if community members who are listening right now want to get involved, what does that look like? How, how can they – what is this work, and how, how, can, how can community members participate in and support this work? Yeah, it's important for folks to know that this work is all community-oriented, community-sourced. Um, none of us are getting paid for this work, for example. Um, and, <laughs> um, and so we are a group of like grad students, lawyers, uh, nonprofit folks, silver servants. Uh, I mean, you name it, we have everybody at the table. We have youth from the Bronx who are coming in to lead some programming in their high school around this plan. Um, and so the campaign was launched in September of 2018. It was really launched like the week before the public testimonies were going to happen. Um, but this work, as I said, we aren't new organizers. And I want to really like push back against this narrative that like we are a rowdy group of abol- spooky abolitionists right. um, who are trying to like burn the world down. Yep. And I mean, as I said, like I've been a Black Lives Matter organizer since we went to Ferguson, and I know folks and elders who have been fighting this fight much longer than me. I always give a shout out to Mariam Kaba, um, Prison Culture on Twitter. I always give a shout out to her because she's been doing so much work for so long. We have so many leaders and people who have been doing abolitionist center work. So this is not a brand new idea, but around uh, what the campaign is doing, we are doing pretty much everything within our power. Um, that looks like we saw, you know, we saw Stephen Levin at Nicholas Hayward's senior funeral. And we asked him, like, how can you show your face 
um, at the funeral of a man who lost his son to police violence and has never received justice at his funeral. Right? Like, we're going to press you wherever you are. Mm. We're going to see you wherever you are. And we're going to let you know that, like, our community doesn't doesn't want new jails. Everybody doesn't want new jails. And you can't just, like, push it and ravel it through the seven-month process. Let's, like, talk about the fact that once the ULIP process begins, it, it's done in seven months. Mary Bill de Blasio, this is his second term. It was just last year that he was like, oh, yeah, we can close Rikers. Before then, he would say, like, it's, it's unheard of. It's unrealistic. It'll never mm-hmm. happen. So if you change your mind... Within six months, you want to start building jails. Like, how can I trust your judgment? Um, where are your facts coming from? And you ask this question um, around, like, what is the city's, like, what is the city's vision for this? And it's like, for me, as a New Yorker, I, I can vision New York City in 10 years having a lot more accessibility, a lot more public housing, um, a lot more other alternatives to policing and safety beyond policing than building four new jails. Um and if we look at Mayor Bill de Blasio's record, we know that he really loves his uh, high real estate developer investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at, for example, the Brooklyn Detention Center, which they want to tear down and rebuild to be upward of 40 stories. Um, they, the mayor's office also lists like, hey, we'll have 20,000 feet of, of uh, 20,000 square feet of retail space available. Like, we have Whole Foods here. We have an Apple store. We have two Trader Joe's. We have the Atlantic Terminal. We have enough retail, Absolutely. major boss retail stores on this strip, let alone another 20,000, like, retail spaces. And they're like, what does that mean to have human people, like, people in cages, like, in cages above where people are getting their coffee? Yeah, and I want to also talk about, because the, the city has a real particular way of talking about the jail expansion plan, um, and just quick for folks who don't know um, to, where we're talking about, they um, are proposing opening a, a jail, um, be, taking on the Brooklyn Detention Center, rebuilding it, um, the same with the Tombs, which is the Manhattan Detention Center um, in the Chinatown area, also in Mott Haven um, and in Kew Gardens, so um, four boroughs, four new jails, and they talk about it as... Uh, this like design opportunity, as if a jail of, is a good neighbor. The jail is a good neighbor, oh. as if like the they talk a lot about the light in the new institutions, and that like there's this way of designing cages that don't make them cages, which is just untrue. Um, and so I think <laughs> when if folks get involved in this fight and they start listening to the city, um, you just have to be prepared for that. It's really um, and and challenge this idea that. Um, that we need to build new facilities. And, and remembering that Rikers was this, right? The Rikers was the reform. It was the, it was the new design. Um, and and now, we're, now we're facing this again. And it's really, it, we have to, if we're, if we're real about decarceration, we can't build new jails. Like, it's as simple as that. If this kind of design language is the language of normalization, we're talking about uh, this kind of campaign to normalize the this seemingly endless jail expansion in New York. And before we move on to our next segment, I just want to, what's coming up for No New Jails, uh, if listeners want to get involved? Yeah, if folks want to get involved, uh, reach out to us, uh, Gmail and Twitter. Um, No New Jails NYC on Twitter is the best way to, like, just, like, get involved in our events. This Saturday in Brooklyn at the Restoration Plaza from 4 to 6 p.m., we are having uh, our second No New Jails community speak out. Uh, primarily this time in Brooklyn. We are trying to have other ones in the Bronx and Queens 
um, coming up within the next month. But if you're interested in coming out to the Speak Out, learning more about the plan, learning about how we can collectively envision something different, uh, receive resources and fact sheets, we have a lot of information. There's also going to be child care and food provided for folks. It's app, it's completely open to the public. Um, and, you know, there's no fee. Just come in and uh, tell them where you're going, which is Restoration Plaza, uh, which is in uh, Crown Heights. Um and uh, from four to six, um, and again, yeah, follow us if you want to get involved. We in any way, like you can be part of our canvassing team. Um, you can hang a poster in your window. You can sign up for the email list just to like kind of know where we're gonna be at. You can come and join us and rally with us. Um, if you got time in the middle of the day, we really want to start targeting city council, <laughs> um, right? And like you talk about the lack of accessibility to these meetings and spaces to engage. And for example, the full city council body that will be voting to approve this plan or not, they meet in the middle of a Thursday at like one thirty. Like, how is that accessible for folks to come and engage with their lawmakers and policymakers? So, um, yeah, if you if you want to get involved, please uh, reach out to us on Twitter. You can also reach out to me uh, at Black Boykey, B-O-I-K-E-I on Twitter. I'm super active. And so uh, I will make sure that folks get put in touch with who they need to be put in touch with. Research, communications, media, like, fam, come support. There's work to do. <laughs> Thank you. Um we're now going to move on to our next segment. We're going to talk specifically about the Rikers Table, a project that was started by a coalition of DSA members, a group of DSA members. Uh, and we have a, a clip. I, I was at the Rikers Table um, this weekend and picked up some sound of what the table is like. And then I'm going to ask Jordan a little bit to explain the, the history and the function of the table. My name is Michael Law and I was on Rikers for four months. Uh, I was washing people's underwear for like uh, snacks just to get some extra food. I took this guy's breakfast by accident. He tried to get me smoked at the dorm, which is jump. Smoke means jump. The bail was uh, set on my court date. Uh, I disagreed upon that, that they should set bail because it was my first offense in a long time. And uh, they still gave me a $1,200 bail. And I was selling phone calls for coffee and stuff like that. My friend uh, threw a tray on the floor, and this big CEO grabbed him, and he took him and choked him. And just started slamming him up against the wall. And, uh, and there was a one time where this CEO caught this one dude with tobacco. Boom! Slapped him. And he didn't do nothing back. He just stood there like that. They closed the door on me, and I heard mad ruckus after that. I did eight months in isolation for stealing um, sodas. Six months on Rikers altogether, around something like that. Yeah, I've been locked up a lot, man. I've been locked up a lot. Hi, and welcome back. This is uh, Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, I'm 
Jacob Verdig. I'm here with Jordan and Key from the No New Jails Coalition. And what you were just listening to uh, was a clip, a story from the Rikers Table. The Rikers Table is a project uh, led by a group of DSA members. Um, and the project is uh, something that we're going to learn a little bit more about today on Revolutions Per Minute. I'm here with Jordan, who's helped facilitate the Rikers Table. And Jordan, can you tell us a little bit about the project of the Rikers Table, the history of the story? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jake. Uh, so this is just a group of DSA members. Um, we started organizing this table last year around February. Um, and just to put this in context, right, this was the moment when the mayor had announced that it would take 10 years, but they would close Rikers. Um, and it felt like there just there was kind of, there was this void, right? There were no community spaces actually where people were talking about this. I mean, we mentioned earlier like there were a bunch of nonprofits, but um, it was a lot of like closed door. So I don't know. There was still very closed door. and still still very closed door, and we can talk about that too if we have some time. Um, but yeah, we, so didn't feel like there was there were many spaces um, or really like sustained organizing around actually closing jails. Um, and in reality, at this point, nothing has changed, right? People are still locked up. Um, they're still going to visit their families and loved ones, um, traveling to see them at Rikers. And so we set up a, uh, a coffee table, a kind of like comfort station by the Q100 bus, which at the time was the only public transportation to Rikers Island. Uh, we had hot coffee, tea, hot chocolate um, to start because it was the winter and the clip you just heard. It's been a, it's been a year now. Um, so, you know, we bring what kind of feels right, um, what people need. So whether it's um, some fruit, snacks, donuts, water bottles, um, and if someone asks us why we're out uh, in the cold, for example, handing out coffee, or they just kind of stop by and they're like, what is that um, sign about for ending cash bail or abolishing prisons? Um, we start a conversation and we, you know, we'll say to them, you know, we'll share with them that we think it's possible to close jails by just sending people home. Um, but the focus has really been, you know, it's about sharing and it's about listening. So you just, um, you heard a story, folks are really incredible sharing their experiences um, and and their stories um, with us. And it it is, it's, it's about having these conversations. And I think it's important to, to say it's not really like telling people what to think about closing jails. It's not like persuading them exactly. Um, it's listening. It's listening, exactly. And and part of it is it, we did really, we wanted to show up and say that we do know that Rikers is violent and that it's not okay and that this isn't a political game and we wanted to actually be there in solidarity um, and listen to people whose voices really matter and what it looks like to create safety in the city. Um, and we wanted to just ask them and have this conversation about kind of what, what did they hope for? Um, what does closing records look like to them? And when you talk to people week after week, um, you know, it's, it's, you don't have conversations about new, nicely lit jails. <laughs> you don't have conversations about necessarily how long it takes for them to get there. Um, they talk about how horrible it is to be separated from the people that they love, um, how horrible it is to be inside. And they want people home, right? The people who we talk to, they, they share this with us. Um, and so we've been doing, been organizing this table um, since we started doing it. The city opened shuttles that run from um, 125th Street um, in Harlem and uh, kind of in the J Street area in downtown Brooklyn um, to bring, to kind of make it slightly easier for families to go to Rikers uh, to see their loved ones. So we're there too, as often as we can be, as often as we have folks to brew coffee. Um, and yeah, continuing to have these conversations. And when we heard about the, when the 
city released the jail plan in August. Um, and by that, I mean they re- released a land use process. Um, we showed up to the scoping hearings and we met some folks who were starting to organize the no new jails campaign and immediately said, yeah, these people also want uh, our neighbors to go home and the people we love to go home. And those are the people we're going to fight with. <laughs> Uh, just one more question before we open this up to Collins. And once again, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute, the New York City DSA radio show. Um, I think when people think of uh, activism, when people think of organizing, you think of going out to a rally, you think of knocking door to door, maybe fundraising. Uh, this is distinctly not that kind of organizing. And I guess I wanted to ask, or, or to a listener, because I definitely noticed that the, the quality and the kinds of conversations that are being had at this table feel distinctly different than other organizing experiences that I've been a part of. And I wanted to ask, you know, why this kind of organizing? Uh, what's the function and how do you feel about it? How do you feel when you're when you're tabling? Yeah, uh, so I would say definitely this emphasis, right? I think it feels different because often, like when you think about knocking on a door for like a candidate or going to a rally, there's like a specific message, I guess, that you want to get across. Um, this is much more about listening to folks and meeting them where they are um, and asking a question, you know, really, I want to put this in like stark opposition to even the way that the city does this, right? Like they frame a specific question because they want an answer. Um, And we actually wanted to know what people need and what people think of as safety and what they uh, see for their own right futures. And like that, that is where we're coming from um, as opposed to kind of, designing the answer I guess um and for me yeah I, I think you're right like it it's really incredible week after week what folks share with you it's a gift um I am like really grateful that folks will talk to you about their experiences and will bring their perspectives to what we then organize because I do think as organizers right we have um we try and facilitate these spaces that so that people um can have safe spaces for dissent so that they can have their voices lifted up. And I think it's our, you know, we should be creating that opportunity, but it's not about kind of inserting ourselves. Yeah, if I could just briefly like tag along on that as uh, another like example of that type of community building is Swipe It Forward. Um, And Swipe It Forward definitely goes down. We go down into the actual subway system and we provide free swipes for black and brown folks. Um, while we're there and usually we do it during the rush hour times and we do it for about like at least an hour two hours to give folks adequate um, resources to get to and from work without the NYPD being able to meet their quota um, so we often will go to the subway stations where black and brown folks are most highly to be criminalized or arrested um, and we provide those swipes and that is another like community base building um, way to organize where you like you engage with folks and you like let them know why you're there and you're able to um, talk about other things like closing records, like no new jails, or um, any type of other programming, um, and you get to just like engage with folks and really build with them. And it really has, for me, shifted the culture of how um, I engage with people and how other folks engage with each other on the train. I see a lot of other folks swiping people in now for free and being mm-hmm. being willing to at least stop and talk to people and say like, "Hey, do you need a swipe?" Just like that offer. Um, these small changes of, of culture, which is like, "Hey, you know, like." People don't need to be arrested for not having 275 if I have an unlimited card. Why can't I just swipe them in? It's perfectly legal, by the way. It's legal to swipe people in. But, um, yeah, I think about Swipe It Forward as another example of just, like, the way that we build together along with, like, Records Table. Um, Like, being in the community is most important for us, um, and being on the ground is where the real work, for me, happens. 
and if, if folks want to get involved with Swipe It Forward or Rikers Table, is there any uh, information that they can or should know about? I mean, besides just going down to the subway and swiping people in. Rikers Table, I know the email is rikerstable at gmail.com if anyone is interested in getting involved, right? That is correct. And we will also be at the, uh, by J Street Metro Tech, um, by the Ann Taylor Loft. <laughs> um, but there's the, it's next to the um, shuttle bus that goes to Rikers Island on Saturday morning um, from about 10 to 2. Yeah, I mean, just follow, look up hashtag swipe it forward, and you'll see, like, anything and everything, Twitter and and uh, things. I mean, the only thing is that, like, for safety and security reasons, we don't ever advertise, like, where we're going to be at. But if folks want to get involved and organize and help to host one, et cetera, yeah, get in touch with us. Great. And I think now, if we can, open up the lines to anyone who has questions about prison abolition, about the about no new jails in the city's jail plan, and, or about the Rikers Table or Swipe It Forward. Uh, the listener call-in line is 212-209-2877. Uh, we're, here, we're here to talk to you for the next uh, five, ten minutes or so. Um, uh, yeah, so... Again, this is Revolutions Per Minute. Uh, this is the, the official radio show of New York City DSA, and today we're talking about prison abolition. Uh, we've talked about particularly the city's jail plan, the city's wild jail plan, and the movement that has organized in opposition to it. Um, are there any other hearings? Oh, do we have a call coming in? Yeah. All right. Welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. Hello? Hi, who is this? Uh, my name is Robert. I'm calling from Flushing. I would like you to do a story on a guy by the name of Adam Mermelstein. He's in the process of buying up all these rent-stabilized buildings, pushing out the tenants, and then this guy is a racist. This guy has written up that he doesn't like immigrants and New York City shouldn't be for poor people. Uh, presently, he just bought a building, 711 Seagirt Avenue in Far Rockaway. It's 925 units. He's pushing out all of these rent-stabilized tenants. What do you think is going to happen when all of these people become homeless? He bought eight buildings in downtown Flushing. Uh, when he bought the building, there were only 1% vacancy. Now they're up to 35% vacancy. For example, 13240, he pushed out out of the 94 units. He now has 21 units empty. Wow. Wow. Thank you very much for telling us that story, and we'll absolutely do our research into it. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Welcome to Revolutions Hello. Per Minute. Hello. Who is this? It's WBAI. Yes, it is. Welcome. Hi. Are, are you calling in for any particular reason? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize I was on the air yet. Welcome. Yes, you're, you're on the air. We're talking about prison abolition today. Do you have any questions or thoughts on the subject? Yes. Um, I was just wondering... Uh, if you could maybe tell us a little more about how the kinds of so-called crimes that people most fear against their person could be handled in a prison-abolished society. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, so... When we talk about abolition, it is a process, right? Um, we acknowledge that there is a lot of, right, there is abuse um, that happens in the world there. Um, and no, right, like a, a lot of that, if any, it's not addressed by the system that we have currently. Um, and what abolition takes is really uh, 
establishing relationships differently, right? So it um, it's coming up with new processes for the way that we address abuse, um, and it's having community so that when something happens, we actually know each other and we know how to um, take care of each other and address harm. So it's we definitely. Uh, yeah. Safety is a priority, right? Safety is a priority, but we need different ways of addressing it because we're actually not, we don't have safety right now. Yeah, I want to make, I wanted to like, just like really not push back, but to like let folks know that there's a difference between uh, abolition of jails and abolition of prisons. Um, they fall under the same category, right? Because you're abolishing a carceral state. But jails are spaces where folks are supposed to go until they go to trial. That's it. They haven't been convicted of a crime. They haven't been um, in anything of the sort. They are just being held there in a detention way, right? And so um, in terms of, like, when you think about, like, high amounts of crime, like rape and violent crimes, New York City, according to the mayor, is the safest city. Um, it is. We have a significant decrease in crime since the 1950s, right? And so you think about this, this perception of of like safety and and how we need police to hunt down the bad guys and um you think about like the fact that like most of the violence that it it, it is part of the systemic issues that we face um and there is a way that systems we can be created that don't result in like death penalty or life sentences or things of that matter. We can definitely resolve issues in way more holistic, restorative justice type ways. We're talking about moving beyond punishment, moving beyond avoidance into into the realm of support and rehabilitation. And what is the percentage of people who, if, if cash bail was abolished on Rikers, would need to be there anymore? I think about 80 percent of people there are pretrial detention right now, and most of them are there because they can't afford bail or because they are there because of like prior um, kind of like parole violations. Do we have time for one more call? In? One more. Real All right, fast. got it. Hello and welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. I think our lines have been crossed. I was waiting here, and then suddenly uh, two women. Got Thank you. Anyway, we appreciate the call. Next one. Uh, we have one more call. Okay. Hello? Hello. Welcome to Revolutions Per Minute. Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. I just wanted to say that um, I, I understand this is a process, and I'm sure it's not going to happen tomorrow, but in evolution. And I wanted to just point out that a lot of people who now have jobs with these terrible contractors, we've, uh, the, we've contracted our jails out to these privatists, private places, uh, and there's jobs. So these people say, oh, they want their jobs and stuff. But I could see a lovely a lovely thing where we're taking care of homeless, that the jobs um, are repl- that those people that have jobs get jobs in this new concept, with this new concept of abolition. They get uh, jobs uh, to take care of the homeless or to help direct or to this or do that or make the, the social conditions better. Thank you. We're, we're talking about moving moving uh, employment beyond the pri- prison industrial complex to, to a new vision in abolition and repurposing people who currently are employed in that complex. Uh, we just want to thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you thank so much. Thank you guys Keith. so much for having us. It's been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks. Thank you, Key. Uh, again, no new jails.ny at gmail.com. Hashtag no new jails NYC. Rikers table at gmail.com. Swipe it forward. Get involved. It's time to abolish prison, everybody. Thank you.
You're listening to WBAI. This is Kiani Brea with an announcement about your local station board elections. Ballots will be issued by first class postal mail on January 18th and will be issued by email on January 23rd. The local station board election will close on March 5th, 2019. For other important dates and for information about voting in the election, you may call 413-424-9569 or visit wbai.org. In an evening titled, Welcome Home Family, loved ones and friends are gathering to welcome home some of the youth jailed in 2016 through devastating so-called gang raids who are finally out. This community event includes live music, video, good food, and refreshments. Come join this community welcoming and learn more about the raids. That's Saturday, January 26th. 5.30 p.m. at the Jalopy Theater, 315 Columbia Street in Red Hook, Brooklyn. For more information, email StopTheRaids at ProtonMail.com. That's StopTheRaids at ProtonMail.com. Hi, this is Legend Lopato.